My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is Aaron Finbloom. Aaron is hard to pin down in terms of how you describe the amazing work that he does in the world. I think of him as sort of a um, an, an entrepreneur philosopher. He is sitting right at this intersection of a deep understanding or inquiry into the nature of existence, the nature of what it is to be human, while also working really creatively with how to bring people together in unexpected and surprising collective ways. Um, you might describe him as a conversation designer or a transformational teacher or an artist of the collective heart. Whatever language you come up with, suffice to say that Aaron is a really cool, creative, and interesting human who is sitting with a question of what, what might we need as people, as individuals, as groups, as societies, as species, what might we need from each other to engage more deeply and authentically and creatively? How can we break out of conversational patterns and start to, through dialogue and art and expression, how might we start to find new ways of living together and being together? So we dance with that today. We sort of practice what Aaron preaches, which is a process of exploring what's happening in a conversation and how can we play with it. I hope that you get, I hope that you leave today with a sense of that play, with a sense of how else you might start to do things differently the next time you hop on a Zoom call or ring up your mom or connect with a loved one or a friend or a stranger. So let's get settled in. <sighs> and hear what Aaron has for us. Hi, Aaron. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. Andy. Thanks. Thanks. It's great to be here. <laughs> yeah, it's so good to have you here. I love, uh, I love that I have a podcast because it lets me reach out to people like you who I've never met, but who I see doing really interesting thought and heart-provoking work in the world and invite you into this space. And I'm especially excited because it seems to me, and maybe we can start a bit with with how you got to where you are, but it seems to me that the work you do is really about helping people in a more in a more tangible and playful and meaningful way engage with life with more spontaneity and playfulness and creativity. And mm. so maybe we can try and bring in some of that <laughs> spontaneity into this space today for us. So awesome. Thank you for that. I, I love that. Yeah. Nice. Cool. 
So from what I understand, mm. uh, a number of years ago, you started something called um, the School of Making Thinking. Is that right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. 10 years ago. It's been 10, 10, years. 10 years. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and what and and that was part of as I as I saw this email you sent to this group that we're both on, that was the, one of the things that hooked me. I was like, the school of making thinking. <laughs> I want to know more about that. Mm. And 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 one of the reasons I want to know more about that is because I just to me what I felt into was this sense that often thinking is a thing that just sort of happens like our minds or our brains are thinking about stuff, but there's a like making, there's something there that's artistic. There's something there that is active. There's a choice there. And I wonder if you could just talk a bit more about what the school is and how the kind of the making, the creativity and the thinking, the processing come together and why you married those two together, or maybe how you saw they were already married together. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'll I'll answer your I'll answer your question and talk about it by going back a little bit further, even to okay, um, great, great. to when I was like in in middle school or high school, because I think these these two threads have sort of been uh, sort of tied my soul together for for quite some time. The thinking and making threads, like I since middle school, I you know I was a musician and I was really into music, like super into music. I was in a rock band in my twenties and like. That was a, that was a big part uh, a big part of my identity was was arts. Uh, I got into like more performance based arts in, in my twenties as well, and and then also uh, was was philosophy was uh, in my in in middle school. I was like joined a philosophy club and and in, in college I was a philosophy major and uh, uh, you know after after college just like furiously read Nietzsche and um, so you know these these two identities were like sort of formed a huge part of me and yet they were they were very separate and so somewhere in my like in my mid to late 20s I grew a little dissatisfied with the separation of these two threads mm. uh, it was in the midst of my um of my uh, MA that I was doing at the time at SUNY Stony Brook uh, a philosophy program philosophy master's program that was really open to to people doing more like experimental things than, than writing papers, but I didn't really have any professors that did any of that stuff. So I was just sort of like weirdo in the, in the program, like wanting to like do performance art instead of writing papers. Um, but, uh, I, after, after that program, this was like 2010, I decided to start the school of making thinking. Um, and it was with that in mind, I was like, gosh, we just have to bring like artists and bring like academics and philosophers and thinkers together and just see what happens, you know? Um, and, and a big part of it for me was also just to, to like, to have like creative community, like radical creative community. So, mm-hmm. I mean, our first, the first summer of doing SMT was, um, SMT is the acronym school making thinking, uh, was, uh, I mean, my, my partner at the time and my closest friend, I was like, we got to start this thing. And we found a, a property. This is before Airbnb. I was just like called up. I don't even remember how I found it, found a property in up in the Catskills and got a handful of friends together, put some posting up on artist residency websites and found other people and, and had these two, uh, two week sessions. And, hmm. uh, it was, yeah, it was. So, I mean, it's interesting, right? Like I could, I could talk about this for, for hours, but I mean, there was like the intention going into it, right. My intention going into SMT was, was exactly what, 
what, what you're talking about and what I was talking about was to like find new ways to, to marry, to cross pollinate um, thinking practices and art making practices. Mm. And just like, let's see how those cross pollinate. Right. Mm. And that was always that for the first two years, that was always my highest intention, but that's, that's not what emerged from, from doing it. It was very, very, very different things emerged from, from doing SMT. And what we found was just like this wild, I mean, the spontaneity is really, uh, as you mentioned, was something that, that definitely was uh, a component of what SMT was about. This sort of wild, spontaneous, um, uh, like Eros energy of like, of creation um, and just being with, with people in this, like in this intentional setting where we're all like, thinkers we're all makers we all want to experiment and here we are like living together for two weeks in a beautiful setting like what what do we do what are, you know and the possibilities are, are endless you know um i so wish was, i could have like i wish i could go back in time and be a fly <laughs> on the wall for one of these these inaugural gatherings yeah. oh my gosh yeah i mean there's oh, I, I mean there's just so many stories of like rituals that we did and and just like it was yeah, it was, I mean, and, and, and eventually the people that were there for that first summer, they, they, they came back the next summer and we formed a board of directors. And I mean, SMT has been, has been growing and, and not growing and then growing more. And it's, it's been, it's been really a wild journey. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, so in the midst of that has been my own personal journey with, with that, with that unification of thinking and art making. And, and for me, and this this sort of plays out in my own art practice, which it's it's great because as an organizer of a of a residency program, you sort of have you know the power to to pick which kind of sessions you want to create. You know, um, so I I, I mean there was other people that also had that power. It wasn't I wasn't just the the oligarch. <laughs> uh, I wasn't I wasn't the, the dictator. But um, uh, yeah, so I could create sessions and create the opportunity for myself to work on my own art practice in a way that I didn't have the chance to do in other settings, which mm. for me, which for me involves a lot of trial and error and experimentation and people that are willing to like come together and try a thing one day and the next and the next and the next. So, um, for me, it was all around conversation. Uh, mm. for me, it was, uh, conversation for me is the means of, of that unification because for me thinking practices well they can be written there's a lot of written thinking practice but there are also many thinking practices are oral um and conversation being the biggest one of them uh now i think very typically and i for this, this is another thing i could talk about for hours maybe i'm not used to like monologuing so much maybe it's I'll great talk no and i promise i'll i'll <laughs> pull on threads that seem particularly interesting but right now i'm just i'm just loving it so just yeah, yeah. keep rolling and at some point if we need to pause or head somewhere i'll let you know for sure for sure so so yeah, for, for me, I think, and this this goes back thousands of years, I think, in, in the philosophical tradition. This this idea that uh, I have this 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 there's this hilarious um, Aristotle passage about um, oh god, it's about it's about like rhetoric and geometry. Anyway, a- Aristotle was was very um, didn't didn't think that like the that that conversation needed to be thought about philosophical conversation didn't need to be thought like thought about in the way that rhetoric was, was thought about, right. Mm. Where, where the art of rhetoric is mm. one where, where basically you, you have to know like how you're speaking, maybe even how you're sitting, 
like the tone of your voice, mm. like you change like the mode and manner of conversation depending on who you're talking to. There's all these elements that come into it that are just, that are outside of the pure like semantic meaning and logical construction of what you're saying in rhetoric. But, but like that an agenda sort of, in rhetoric. An agenda and also the, the, the manner of speech becomes important. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. not just not just the the content, right? Mm-hmm. But that was sort of stricken in the same way that the poets were sort of banished from the city. That was sort of like <laughs> pushed pushed out of what philosophy, sort of the ideal sort of philosophical act or or conversation or or just discourse should be. Right? It shouldn't be. We should philosophers shouldn't concern themselves with where they're standing or what they're wearing or. The, the the accent that they use to speak or you know the fact that they're holding their paper here and not here the, i mean in a sense these are kind of like theatrical uh devices in a certain sense mm. or or rhetorical devices mm. but i i think um that's just the sort of tip of the iceberg of this sort of unification is thinking about speech and and discourse in a way that's more than just the the meaning of the words and the sort of logical construction of the words but thinking about speech as as and and discourse as like a a wide set of practices some of which are embodied some of which are um i'll I'll call them like like for for example for example like uh asking questions you know or or um stating clarifications or uh using using word stems like saying we're going to start this sentence with with i think or i feel Mm -hmm. um you know things like that like these are modes of like of structuring conversation that that I think are are kind of outside the the, the purview of, of philosophy and 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 thinking practices, um, but ones that I feel like are aesthetic because what they're beginning to do is they're they're sort of designing uh, conversations from from a more I would I would say like a like a structural way right like a structural and and an artistic way like thinking of sort of. A, this expansion outside of the pure sort of logical and into the embodied and into the, yeah. and into the structure. There's a, there's a, a, an experiential, like what I'm tuning into, there's a lot I'm tuning into. So let me see if I can kind of like connect <laughs> to these threads here. But yeah. one of the things I'm tuning into is, is it seems to me that in general, any efforts to atomize any part of our lives to kind of like reduce, okay, like, philosophy i'm going to reduce it down to pure meaning or form and anything around that is now irrelevant seems although it might be and aristotle was brilliant and you know one of the great minds of his his time it seems to me be a really wonderful playful like incredible act of genius to like figure out like this is the element i've got it but from the level of lived experience, that atomization, that reduction loses so much in the process of that reduction, right? Like it's, it's, it seems to be a missed opportunity then to say, okay, now that I've got this essence, this like sauce that I've boiled down, what do I add it to, or how do I blend it back in to whatever recipe I'm trying to make? And that's, I (laughs) sense that that's the aesthetics piece that you're sort of tuning into. It's like, great. You've got this pure form essence, but no one's going to do anything with it. No one's going to digest it and and feel it or experience it if you can't then put it back into whatever context you're in. And mm. when that starts to happen, then there's there's 
more more magic becomes available, more of the quote unquote theatrical or playful or experiential starts to become available. And then the meaning can transmit in a way that maybe it can't if it's yeah. just just a pure reduction of it. So I don't know. That's one yeah. thing I'm feeling into. Does that resonate with you? Is that what you're kind of playing with? Yeah, 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 it does. It does. It, it, it makes me think of, an, of a whole other way that I also use to explain like my, my deepest interests in, in conversation, which, which has to do with, with rules. Um, like, I, I think like typically we, we don't, we don't think about this all the time, but, but we are, uh, there, there are thousands hundreds of thousands of rules that that we that are implicit that lie beneath the surface mm. of, of conversation right and that, and that changes like in a philosophical conversation those rules will, will shift and when in a casual conversation those rules will shift we're always governed by these thousands and thousands and thousands of rules um now what i'm interested in <laughs> is making those rules a little bit more explicit like like mm. raising them up to the surface and and playing with them. So not just looking at those rules, but like actively like sort of hacking and tweaking them and seeing like, let's, let's see what happens if we just add in like, okay, we're doing the philosophy conversation. Let's add in a different rule here where we share our feelings, you know? Okay. <laughs> let's add in this other rule here where uh, now we're, now you that's O philosopher over here that loves like just negating all the time. Now we're going to force you into having to just affirm <laughs> or we're going to force you into having to only provide clarifications. So for me, what this does is, and I think like this sort of connects down to my, my interest in, in therapy as well. Um, I think certain kinds of structured conversations force us to be other than that we already are. Right. And that, and that is, is trans- mm. that is transformative in a certain sense, mm. because we are, we're pushed to be something, to be something else. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there's this. Um, let's see if I can get my get my words around it. Like, there's this beautiful, there's this beautiful way in which by making those rules explicit, by kind of like surfacing them to the level of our awareness, we can go, oh, one, you've just helped me better understand what I'm doing when I'm doing when I'm job interviewing or when I'm, you know, doing a coaching session or when I'm talking to my wife, right? Like there's sort of, oh yeah, look at all these ways in which I am fitting in myself into a form and performing that form completely unconsciously because I've just absorbed it through my, you know, 40 years of life on this, this rock in space. So you're like yeah. just this surfacing an alone creates a layer of self-awareness that didn't exist before Mm -hmm. but then to sort of give permission or challenge to say (laughs) guess what you're not going to use those rules this time or i'm just (laughs) going to swap out one on you i'm just going to swap out one on you so we're going to dial up intimacy or we're going to or we're going to dial up uh logic or we're going to we're going to dial down uh you know dial down harmony and and dial up kind of debate right like there's all these ways in which you could start to then I use that metaphor too, that like tr- turning the dials. Like, okay, let's like, let's like turn up the feeling and turn down the lot. Yeah. I, I love that. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. So yeah. you say like you, so, so then you said like, there's something really transformative about that. And I want to, there, it seems to me like you're onto something very interesting there. And it sounds like you've been playing with this for a while. So, how, so take us into that and in whatever way feels exciting to you. Like, is there yeah, an example yeah. you could share? Yeah, or yeah. I think the question, questioning is the best example I have. Like, I think, 
all too often, I think, you know, throughout my entire life, one of my, one of my arch nemeses has always been dogma, has always been yeah. <laughs> uh, dogmatism, people that know that the certainty, dogma, etc. Um, and I think that all too, I mean, as a teacher, I see this like so frequently, like people just like, they have the answer. Like, this is the answer. Like, I know this is the case. Like you ask this question, here's the answer. Not just that, they, 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 when a question is asked, the immediate response is answer, done. That is the process is over. So and I think, I mean, for, for me, like I'm, I'm inspired, like one of the thinkers I'm inspired like, so, so much by is Heidegger and one of his uh, disciples, uh, uh, followers, Gadamer. For Gadamer, this quote that I love for Gadamer is that the art of, the art of thinking is the art of just questioning further. That's, that's mm. what the art of thinking is, just questioning mm. further. And, mm. and so I think by a, a easy, and this I think is one of my most, the most successful games. I won't even call it my game. It's just, it's just a game, which is just the question game. It's just, you only ask questions without any answers. And I think that it, it after you play for like five minutes, 10 minutes, and you have to do it, you can't just do it for like a couple of minutes. You do it five, 10, 20 I did it for a year, <laughs> uh, which I, whoa, I whoa, we're going to talk. Oh, okay. So put a pin in that. We're going to talk <laughs> okay, about that. Yeah. Put in that one. Um, that something really, really changes in your mind that you're, you, because what you do is you, you recognize that, that, that the grounds of thought are, don't just close that they, that they can open and further open and further open. And it's just this like opening of possibility um, that happens when you just don't give answers um, and it's, and it becomes immediately playful and you become like heard and not closed down. And it's, it's, you know, I, I find it, I find it to be like a, a, an amazing, amazing technique. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So tell me more about you. It sounds like you attempted <laughs> to apply this technique at a pretty <laughs> extreme and advanced level for a year. Say more about that. Yeah, yeah. This was um, uh, it's about three or four years ago. I was um, sort of in the midst of a really uh, like those those romantic relationships that that never are fated to last, but they just have like the craziest peaks of intensity. Um, uh, I was sort of in the throes of that, and it, that caused me to do these radical, more more radical ritualized practices um, as a, as a means of coping. And one of them was this process of asking 50, writing down 50 questions every day. Um, and I didn't decide to do it for a year at the beginning with, I was just like, I'm just going to do this. It's going to help me. I'll, you know, I'll wake up and do it. If I miss it in the morning, I'll do it in the afternoon, et cetera. And I had very few rules. Uh, I had, I think like two or three rules. One rule was that, uh, it had to be 50 questions. I couldn't repeat. So I couldn't just be like, why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I here? You know, I had to be different, different questions each, uh, of, within one day. Um, I wouldn't mention anyone's name. That was another rule I had. I wanted it to be uh, somewhat anonymous. So I would use like she or her or him or they. Um, and I think, oh yeah. And then I would, I would do it in one setting. That was the other rule to it in, in mm-hmm. just one setting. So I did that. And after a few months, I was just like, I'm going to do this for a year. So I, <laughs> I, I, I did, I, I did it for one complete year and it turned out to be 18,250 questions. Um, and I, at the end of it, I, uh, uh, did a performance where I read aloud all of the questions sequentially. It took about, about 21 hours. Um, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. Holy shit. Okay, let me just let let me take that in. That's amazing. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah. What happened at that moment as best as or or maybe like in that window where you said, Oh, I'm gonna do this for a year. What was something <laughs> at that point was cooking or crystallizing? that made you energized about the prospect of, of continuing to do this practice? What was going on there? Uh, it's funny. I'm, a, I'm I, I, it doesn't seem like, uh, I, <laughs> it seemed, I feel a little embarrassed about it, but I think that that component for me was actually, I think what, what drives me on was just the sort of like Olympian feat of yeah. like, of like having like, <laughs> Oh my God, I could, what if I did it for one year, you know, and like, what if, I, and then eventually it was, and then what if I did a performance? So I read them all loud and, and that, that wow. end goal, like really, um, after, you know, after, on days where it was like, I was really not feeling like doing it or feeling really sad or whatever, or just distracted. I would like force myself to do it with that, with that end goal and wow. in sight. Yeah. There's um, Olympian is a great, a great metaphor. Mm-hmm. There's sort of just a quality. I mean, my, my, my sense is that you, the way you moved through your life as a result of that practice must've shifted in some ways. Like you must've started to engage with reality differently on some levels as a result of repeatedly flexing this muscle and doing it in a way that increased your agility and increased your stamina mm-hmm. and increased sort of your, your ability to be spont right? Like if you think of like an Olympic athlete, I don't know, like a pole vaulter or something like that, right? Like you're just getting able to leap over higher and higher bars. Is that like, is that metaphor still, was the analogy still working here? Do you, were you noticing those? Yeah, kinds of shifts? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's fascinating. So on the, on the day that I read all the questions aloud, I, I would, I, they were like, I, <laughs> There were certain months, like so. Okay, uh, for ex- like for instance, the relationship. So I started this in in June, I think. The relationship I was in ended uh, in October, and so uh, in in the fall was just like I was just I was just like so tired of myself, just like <laughs> oh my god, Aaron, just like <laughs> constantly the same questions, like what is love, what is heartbreak, what is you know, it was just like I was so <laughs> tired of, of myself. Um, and then like something broke in, in December, you know, and December was like one of like, I was like one of my favorite months for, for writing these questions down. And then, and then, so I would say it was less, I mean, you're probably right. There was definitely like by the end, I probably had more on days or on weeks than I did off, off weeks. If you compared it to the beginning, but I think more interestingly, it was less the sort of linear progression and just like this, this, like this sort of like time capsule of like, whoa, what was happening in this month that like affected the question mm. process? What was happening in that month that was mm. like causing to be so uh, related to this topic or that topic or with this mood or, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that actually, if we circle back to Aristotle's attempt to sort of extract pure philosophy from life, right? Like what I'm hearing you say is actually it's, at least for you and and I would, I'd be willing to bank this is true for almost all of us. It's kind of inextricable. The way you're engaging with thinking, even if you're really attempting to do it at a, at a very precise and consistent 50 question a day level is still shaped by your emotional, like the milieu of your life and what's going on and how you're feeling and, 
what your yeah. energy is that day and what someone said to you that morning and all of that stuff that actually our thinking is not, maybe not extricable from our feeling or our, our being. Is that, is that is there something in that? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it makes me think of, uh, I think we all, maybe not all of us, I definitely fall prey to that desire to, to capture to like capture the thing and like to, to hold it in a kind of stasis. It makes it in, in a sense, I think that all, like all arts have that a little bit of that desire, like the mm. painter, the painter mm. to capture the, I guess this works as representational arts. I don't know with music, well, with music as well. You're still, you're capturing, you're recording a, a set of, uh, a set of sounds. Right. And, and I think like in my own art practice, um, you know, I, I sort of think of, uh, and similarly, like I, I create like, one of the things I do, I create a conversation score. So it's like, it's capturing a, uh, a sort of like sequential, like set of, of rules or structures for conversation for a co- kind of conversation to happen. And, and it's true. Like, like potentially doing that in one instance is going to like, there's going to be millions, thousands of things which affect that, which will never be able to be repeated. Like it's, it's the un- unique uniqueness of that of of one instance of conversation can never be repeated Mm. i think that's always been my my desire is like for for my art practice is to be be able to like take the brilliance of some conversations that we have and try to like create a set of like rules or alchemical like you know like tinctures that can that can cause this thing to just like erupt if you follow the right sequence of instructions (laughs) but it it never actually happens Mm. yeah Mm. So you have this new, I, I sense though that your your latest, I don't know if this is your latest, but I'm experiencing it as your latest, mm. the Deep Play Institute, yes. which the headline is to explore life's deepest questions through transformative play. Yeah. To me, that sounds like a version of what you just described. It's like, how can we create a methodology or a framework or a space where playfulness allows us to actually go deeper into the, into life's questions. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So, so there seems, there's something like it's a both end maybe, or at least I'm having a both end of like, yes, there is that natural impulse to the drive to somehow distill or capture or hold in time, something that's fluid and constantly changing. Mm -hmm. And then to almost like through like, chemistry or or alchemy to kind of like keep to sort of activate that some version of that again to like uh, like okay let's put a little bit of this and a little bit of that and we'll put them together and there's a, a kind of magic that will come out of those two elements or 10 elements coming together yeah so yeah. is there are you see is there some are you starting to notice any kind of uh, is there like a periodic table of conversational elements or <laughs> Or like great oh questions, God. or you know, like I what are you that. learning? Make that. That is. That is. <laughs> I might have to steal that. Yeah, you please. Next, like, uh, if you can, then the go ahead. Make a, make a table. Yeah, that's awesome. Super awesome. Um, yeah. Is <laughs> well, I, I think it's yeah, it's fascinating. So, I mean, one of the one of the things that I'm also working on that I think is probably will be tied up into the, into the deep play Institute at, at some point um, is this game that I'm, that I'm working on that is there's certain projects that I feel like are just like never like they just, they sort of like keep expanding and like have no end. And this, this game might be one of those it's called meta. And it's, it's a, it's a conversation card game where basically I just, I try to take like 
all possible it's uh, like little the elements the periodic tables of elements like one card will say like question now there'll be feeling clarification reason mm -hmm. some are sentence stems they'll be like uh you know start with start the sentence with i think or i or you or because or don't or why you know and then others will be more like embodied like raise your hand or cough or hiccup or i don't know so like so that yeah, it, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. this game tries to capture like i don't know a vast amount of like conversational like ways of, of modes and then turns them into a card game. So, and, and then like the, the, like endless, the endlessness of it for me is just thinking of like how to structure the card game. So like, do you take turns? <laughs> do you have a, pi a collective pile? And, and you basically, the rule is, is that every time you have a card, you have to use that card to speak. So you're the, the cards force you into these different um, modes and manners of speaking. So I, I guess to answer your question, uh, what what excites me most about that is just the endless the endless play field of possibility. That, that mm. the idea of the game is is just like the the ideal player for this game is the one who's excited about the the following question, which is oh my god, like what are these these what, like, what are these new grounds a conversation can take? Like what what could happen if we mix like the mix the you know starting with I, I feel and you feel and, and then having clarification come in and then have like a hiccup, you know, what, like, it's, it's almost like putting the, it's almost like turning everyone into, into cooks or something, you yeah, know, and like giving yeah. everyone the, the, the creative license to begin to model their own or experiment with like the rules for their own, their own um, kinds of conversation, you know? And, and mm -hmm. so I don't know, I guess for me, I don't, I don't, I could try to guess it a few, like, like, you know, I, I, for instance, love, curiosity i think that when curiosity is is present um when people are engaging with curiosity like good great things happen but i'll also say that there's certain conversations that can be really playful where curiosity is thrown out the window like certain kinds of role play where you're just like you know kind of yelling back and forth with the, where you're not curious but there's a certain like distanceness from it where you're able to like know that you're playing Mm. Um, so yeah, mm. it's, it's hard. It's hard to like know exactly what those rules are for like the best conversation, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to like force there to be a why, because what I'm enjoying is just your pure love of the art of conversation. And, and, and like, I want, I guess I want to underline for anyone listening, the power of loving something and how, like, when you are excited about something, that infinite unfolding you were talking about earlier, like you could really pick any, almost any discipline or domain. And there's someone who just loves it so much that they're going to keep going deeper. And what a beautiful thing that is to be in the presence of. So I just want to say like, thank you for sharing your love yeah. of the conversation. But Absolutely. then I'm just also noticing like, well, I, I maybe I don't love conversation as much as Aaron does, but, but damn, it's kind of cool. Maybe I could, if I started playing more consciously with these rules, with these elements, I might, I might learn, I might, I might start to learn how to have more fun with life, to let go of my need to, to, to be perfect or to manage my appearance or I don't know. It just seems like there, there falls out a set of, maybe this is the transformative piece. Like I, mm. there sort of seems to me to be a person who starts to play more consciously with all of these elements that they're going to move through life very differently than someone who is unaware of these elements. And as a result, simply kind of performs them by rote. And I wonder mm. like, 
if you're in a position where you have to like make a case to someone like, Hey, Andy, play this game meta with me. And I'm like, what, why the, f- what? No. Can we just yeah. play cards against like, you know, cards against yeah, humanity yeah. or something like that? You're like, no, like let's play meta. What's, yeah, yeah. The, what's there for you. Are, are you seeing anything there in terms of just like evolving us as people or our capacities mm. or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I sort of see two questions there. I, the, the first one's easier to answer, which is, um, uh, how do I like hook people <laughs> into this weird esoteric yeah, game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I've, I've done this a bunch before COVID. I would go to parties with with like the game and just be like, hey, do you want to like just go off on the side and do this thing? And it's really easy to do it because all you have to do is have a stack of these cards and you just like pick a card, pick a card, pick a card. You can you can get into it pretty easily. Like there's one way of playing it at least that you don't have to learn any rules. It's just like, okay, whatever the card says, you have to do. And people, <laughs> people like really like it immediately because it's just like, it has like like it constricts you. People like even though people are are hesitant to say this, I think constrictions can really can really create. I, I mean, ask any student of any class, right? That I've taught, I think they would rather have uh, a lot of constrictions than utter freedom for what they mm. for what they should write about. I think mm. so. Games that that I think that cre- that that do that in a in a good way. I think that allow for. Um, you know, room for improvisation within the constriction, I think are, are really great. So anyway, that's just, that's just one answer is how do I sort of hook people? I think the game uh, immediately does. Um, but the, the, the second question is, I think a little bit harder, which is um, what are, what are sort of the transformative, um, how does a game like this, like help you transform? Um, and yeah, I guess like, I don't have a good answer to that. <laughs> I, I think I would, I would like point the big to other, questions. So, yeah. I, would, I would, I would point to like other, other, uh, other things that I'm doing, other practices, other, you know, other things that are less like, I, I don't know, maybe just like, for, I don't know, frivolous or less just like a, a game. Um, but I will say that, that I do think that in the same way that I was talking before that like uh, about this sort of idea that we're sort of embedded by rules and, and like the way that we talk is like sort of we're constricted by rules all the time. I do think that a game that, that allows us to just in, in, even if it might be a trivial or or frivolous way to just sort of like, Oh, like here's what it is to like talk back and forth only saying I or only saying like, because, 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 it it allows us to, to just like sort of break this, this uh, to sort of like create a fissure maybe in this, in this notion that we are um, that, that like that we're conditioned in this particular way. Right. And and it gives us, I think possibility. It just sort of like Mm. opens up door to possibility. Um, And maybe it's a little hopeful for me to think that like that door, that opening to possibility will lead for someone to be like, Oh, I, you know, I can be this radically enlightened person and can, you know, change in my life in, in various ways. Like, you know, I think that's maybe a little hopeful, but, um, but I do think, I do think that that conversation, I do, I, I guess this just leads me to, to uh, um, a more serious uh, discussion and conversation. I think that some of the most, I think that very impactful um, changes in our culture come about through uh conversational practices Mm -hmm. and changing Mm -hmm. the way that conversation happens. I mean, therapy being the biggest one, right? Mm -hmm. Like 
Uh, and, and, you know, we can start with just like the, the simple practice of talk therapy with one person talking and listening and, and, you know, it's more than just that, but, and then, but then there's like so many diverse practices that come out of that. We have gestalt, we have drama therapy, we have, I mean, uh, I don't know, somatic therapy. There's so many forms, you know, that, that, and I think this has radically changed Western culture. So, yeah. Do you have, yeah, man, it's beautiful. And I'm, I'm finding myself really curious about that piece that you landed on. Like I had it, that sort of felt like where I was leaning to as well. We look out in a lot of the, the sort of digital equivalents of our public marketplaces and our kind of public gathering spaces that, that Aristotle would have trafficked, you know, two and a half thousand years ago. And they seem to be, I mean, there's, I don't want to spend the rest of our conversation hating on Twitter, for instance, but like, they just seem to be, they seem to, to create a certain kind of quote unquote conversational. I mean, maybe, maybe not even, it's not even really conversational. Like there's a sort of uh, a batting back and forth of information that happens in a lot of our, our public spaces. And there seems to be a a real missed opportunity for deep play in those spaces to like actually help people get better or more skillful at talking across, like talking through difference and talking to someone on the quote unquote other side, as opposed to widening the divides between quote unquote one side and the other. And, you know, we're having this, we're recording this on election day, right? So you and like in a couple hours later tonight, we're going to be watching the fruits of our current conversational landscape, which is one Mm. of hyper polarization and kind of hyper animosity and the world you're describing sounds to me like the exact opposite. Like it sounds like a world (laughs) of incredible generativity and creativity and curiosity and playfulness. It's a bit utopic. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe it's like, okay, we're not going to get to utopia, but, but let's work backwards from that. If you could start kind of like being the, the merry trickster, where would you start planting where yeah. in our society would you start planting these seeds for better, more creative, more open conversations? Yeah, yeah, such a such a really really important question. Uh, it's it's interesting every every time I, I feel like I have these conversations about about technology, about like Facebook, Twitter, like you know, like cell phones, all these things. My 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 immediate go to is 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 that there's nothing inherent about these that that like you know like a priori or whatever, like not, nothing like constitutive about this, this technology that has to lead to the shitty, this shitty situation where we're in. Like, I, I do think, and this is why I think, I mean, the, the gaming world is like, I think blowing up and it's going to continue to blow up. I think the idea of using games mm. as a way to like, just like cut in to like the, the sort of like fabric of, of, of how things operate, I think is, is, has so much potential, right? So much potential, right? I think like the the actual way that these apps work, like how we talk, like who says what, how they respond, like is just taken for granted. Like like what would what would it be if you know if on Facebook in order to respond you had to you were constricted by a rule that said you have to only ask a question, you know, like <laughs> you can only ask a question in response to this, you know. Or I mean that's just that's just the tip of the iceberg though. Like there's there's so many ways that we could begin to imagine restructuring how respond how response happens how like you know and and this this is again this is the work that i think is already done in the conversation practices right like like gosh i mean there's uh the the one that that's had a lot of impact on my life is um 
in the past uh, year is the one where one person says something and then it is, it is mirrored by the, by the next person. So the next person mirrors back what they heard being said. And the original person then says whether that, that mirroring is, is effective, whether they missed something or not. Yeah, yeah. Then I think then this, this person then offers their own impact for, you know, for, for that statement, right? So usually we go right to the impact. And, mm. and an impact isn't even shared. It's just like, it's just like you know, judgment or, or, you know, anger or whatever. But like, so I think a structure like that um, really allows for someone to be seen and for someone to be heard. And I think that, yeah, I, I do think that conversation practices really can, I, I just know because they, they've changed me a lot. I don't know if you're familiar with that, uh, with circling, uh, the practice called circling. Yeah, um, I, it, I've been hearing a lot about it a lot lately and and yeah. a form of engagement I've done that happens in circles. So I'm not sure if it's the same is, is rooted in the work of like restorative practices and restorative justice mm. stuff, but I would love yeah. to actually hear more about circling. Cause I'm just, it just keeps popping up that word yeah. keeps popping up. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could again, <laughs> dude, I'm saying icebergs <laughs> a lot, do the typical iceberg yeah. of what circling is. <laughs> But it's 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 transformed my life with my friends, my part, my relationship with my partner, like my my relationship with with others. It's it's been for me personally a transformative practice. Um, just learning how to like authentically share feelings and how to like listen and respond and yeah. So, so what? Yeah. So so what I'm hearing you say, and tell me if this is right, is that like if we started to deepen our capacity to to kind of interrupt our default pattern, whatever that might be. And one of the default patterns I heard you identify is that we often go right to impact. You say something and I go, <laughs> well, that I disagree because I think, blah, 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 you know, like you, if you, if that's true, then this is what's happening. You know, it's just sort of like, it, it's a, it's a sort of like, uh, it's a combative. It seems to naturally produce more combat and tension. It's like, Oh, one thing we could introduce is mirroring slow, like just slow down before you get to impact and that could shift the whole conversation. Yeah. So there's sort of like pattern interrupt that I hear you talking about. Yeah. And then, and then you're talking about a sort of pattern, a new pattern of creation and, and an example of that is circling. So like say more about if you and I were, were circling together or in a circle <laughs> together, how, how would we, what would we be doing differently than mm. if we were just hanging out on a Friday night? Uh, yeah, you could so, actually hang out together in person on a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So th there would be like a lot of pauses, typically, like um, like pauses where we're just sort of like looking and, and noticing. Um, I, I, as someone who's led a lot of people in, in beginning uh, circling practice, I, I usually start with with some like guided uh, conversational structures, of course, given, <laughs> given uh, everything you know about me. So um, there's a few that I think are really nice for starting circling. So one is just, I'm noticing. So you just share what you're noticing in the moment. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm noticing uh, you're smiling. I'm noticing that your, that your eyes are, you know, like bright, you know. Uh, and then you'd like, you could respond and say what you're noticing either about yourself or me. Um, sharing feelings. So just being like saying, oh, I'm feeling uh, kind of a tightness. Uh, it could be a bodily sensation. I'm feeling a tightness here. I'm feeling mm -hmm. like uh, excited, you know. Um, sharing impact. That's another really important one. So when you said, when, when you, when you started smiling, I noticed that I was smiling too. Right. So that's, you know, sharing impact is another one. Um, and I think those are, those are a lot of the, 
Oh, oh yeah, sharing curiosities, saying like what what you're curious about. Um, so yeah, circling is described as as the the way that I love it described as uh, a relational meditation. Mm. So when meditation is internally, circling is between between the others. So we're just mm. we're sort of noticing um, noticing how the unique relationality of the two of us or or the group, uh, noticing what's what's coming up and and yeah. And just sort of uh, watching it unfold. Man, I'm so pumped about that. You say that phrase <laughs> one more time. It, it, it's it's relational meditation. Is relational that meditation. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm noticing that that really like makes me like I just really relaxed when I heard that. <laughs> that is oh, there's a way yeah. in which we don't. Which is funny because we're in this particular format. By the way, we could probably spend a whole podcast dissecting the rules of podcasting and what are the conversational rules of podcasting. But you describing that just sort of invited me to remind myself like, oh yeah, there's Aaron in his in his <laughs> cabin in the woods. Oh, cool. And we're talking right now. Oh, this is cool. Like there's just like a, yeah, it's awesome. And, and that seems to shift something. Just that awareness seems to shift how I feel and, and, the pace I'm moving at. Mm. Am I asking the right questions that like this just disappeared, you know, like all of that just disappeared by you naming the fact that we could notice our relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it also involves like what's coming up for me now is like, it's, it's like a lot of what, what happens in circling is like giving yourself a safe container to bring what's like really scary or like mm. edge, like mm. edges, exploring mm. edges. That's like what the language they use. Right. So um, playing with our edges and that that's and bringing things back to play that that I think is uh, maybe to answer the question from, from a while back is um, <laughs> that, that I think gets it um, the, the depth and 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 play right these sort of balancing right that that I think uh, for me the kind of play that I love the most is play where we play with our edges right when we play with what's what's kind of a little scary or a little uncomfortable and I think the best play there's a lot of play theorists that write about this stuff right that like we have like the comfort zone and we have like the two the stuff that's like too scary where like you know we don't it, to do it is it would destroy play and then like play like it's i think we could it, you know like just like inching more and more into that and like trying to like take more of what's too scary and bring it into the mm. playful would be uh mm. would be a nice way of living mm. Mm. Uh, a way that i try to live by yeah this um I've talked to a number of guests about this, but it's just something I really care about personally. Uh, and let's see, how can I frame this up? Uh, so for the past two years, uh, the last the last time I did this was back in February. So shortly before before we went into kind of lockdown and all that stuff is I, I, something called the Society of Gentle Beasts, which is basically a men's group for artists bringing together men who want to get more connected to the artistic parts of themselves. And the reason I'm sharing that is because I sense that in our culture in general, and this is a huge generalization. So there are plenty of pockets like you, you to me embody someone who clearly has left that, that edge has worked through, through and beyond that edge in a really beautiful way. So I love mm. that you're modeling that. But for a lot of men, that's an edge like, Oh, you want me to, you want me to notice how I feel right now? Oh, you yeah. want me to, um, you want me to get vulnerable and open to not knowing so that I can like be more spontaneous. Like there's a way in which 
that for some men or some male identifying humans, like that possibility is so edgy and so Mm -hmm. scary that the risk is it like the response is like an equal and opposite, like shutdown. It's almost like the, to the level where, as we see, like there's violence involved, right? Like there's a sort of like allowing that part of ourselves to come through can be so edgy that it produces a violent negative response. And so I'm, so I'm like the sort of play theorists are going to be like, yeah, you don't want the violent, like negative response, (laughs) but but I just wonder, like, there's something about dancing, inviting more people to dance at their edges that I hear you mm-hmm. talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you have any thoughts, if you might speak to to the male identifying listeners and sort of say, like, how you have played with some of those edges or how you invite other men to mm-hmm. play in those edges. Is that something you've even thought about intentionally before? I just wonder. Oh, that... yeah, yeah, yeah. So much. I mean, there's so much around this. You're totally right. Like, you know, in, uh, I, I can't even like think of a single thing. There's just so, so much resources that I've, I've, you know, I've, I've touched on this idea of like that, like one of the keys to solving our problem is like to helping men, um, uh, be vulnerable to like, mm. to like, or, or to changing what, I think this is another way I've heard it. I think Esther Perel used these words um, that to changing the model of masculinity such that masculinity itself is one that can, that can encompass and be defined by a certain kind of vulnerability. Even um, I think like that. Uh, God. Yeah. I mean, that's, one thing, that's incredible. One thing that just clicked for me as you, sh- as you shared, that was actually your insight around rule surfacing. Like, I wonder what exercise, like if we engaged in an exercise uh, with a collect, maybe we got like 10 guys together from a lot of different backgrounds and just said like, all we're going to do right now is name all of the implicit rules of what it is to be a guy. Mm. So it's our, it's all we need mm. to do. I'm not yeah. actually going to ask you to be vulnerable with your edge, but just notice here's one rule. Vulnerability is not part of the current, current masculinity framework. Right. Mm. And like, here's what are the other 10 rules? I just like, Fuck, I want to do that actually. Like, I feel like I want to like get 10 guys together and surface the code a bit because then once the code is surfaced, we can start doing what you're so good at, which is to say like, well, what if we just, what if we just add in a line of code here? Or what if we swap, yeah. what if we just pull this out at least for the next hour? What if we just pull out this rule and take yeah. it off the table? Maybe not permanently for the next beautiful, hour. Beautiful, beautiful way of, uh, yeah, that's awesome. So awesome. Nice, man. Yeah. I'm glad you're resonating with that. So I wonder, are there any, <laughs> Like if, if we were at, at in this group right now, are there any particular mm. elements of the code of how it is to be like mm. what it is to be a man that you would like say, oh, yeah, I'd want to surface and name this and put this on the table as something that we should work with more? Oh, my God. I, that, I don't know. What, what, what my mind is going is immediately going towards is just like um, resistances, like because I think that like as someone who's worked one-on-one with people and in groups like with, with practices that, that are really vulnerable, I think you're, you're always met with resistances. Um, not always, but frequently. And, um, uh, it's, it's really hard. (laughs) Some resistances are really hard, right? So, you know, you're, you're being vulnerable and someone's like, why are we doing this? You know, I I don't get it. You know, like whatever is dumb, you know, like, like, um, and and I always I always you know in everything I, I I read about this I I'm always like in in line with with like like kind of like loving or leaning in or like trying to exaggerate 
like the resistance, right? Rather than like shutting it down or closing it off or like saying like, know this, like, I, I, I love, I love those. It feels like a kind of magic to me, like the people that are like, that just like mimic or, or imitate or like do something with the resistance. So like, you're like someone that responds like, yeah, this is dumb. Let's throw it all the time, you know? And like, and like by, by doing that, you're like, this person actually feels seen. And so then they can be vulnerable. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it does. There's something like really magical about, about like, people that know how to work with resistances. And, yeah. And that's like the sort of jujitsu move you just described. Like the, yeah. I can notice that if I was leading a session and a, and a guy, like a guy in the session was like, what, why are we doing this? This is, this is lame. This is bullshit. This is like, this is, you know, this is whatever. I, I could see myself being like, Oh shit. Oh, I'm tensing up. Like, Oh, what, how do I, uh, uh, but like what you're describing is like, you're right, man. This is bullshit. Yeah, come on. And like, you just sort of like, just take the energy that this particular person is sharing in the moment <laughs> and then just let it be in the space and play with it and see what happens. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Okay. That's like, that's like black belt level. Yeah, play right I, I have to admit that I, I'm not always able to do it. I've seen people that can do that. And I, I aspire, I aspire <laughs> so much to that. Yeah. So if you yeah. think about, um, or you feel into... And we are coming up on time, sadly. I knew this. This always happens. This is why I love this show. Is because it's always, like you said, we've 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 seen the tips of a few icebergs, and we could probably we could probably take any one of those and then record another two hour conversation about each of them. But absolutely, I guess I just want to invite you in whatever way you feel called to speak to what you see the deep play Institute as an expression of, cause I know it's like mm-hmm. early days and you're still kind of, yeah. you're like, you have this instinct that mm-hmm. depth and playfulness that helping people live at and move beyond their edges is so important to who we are and what we do. Like, how are you, how are you going to play in those depths? What's your edge? Maybe, maybe yeah. my question is like, where's your edge around <laughs> this in like this work? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's, there's a few questions there. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll try to answer some of them. Um, so yeah, for me, I think, yeah, that, that, that sort of mission statement before, like I'm um, playing with some of life's deepest questions that for me, that was, cause I, I would have a lot of people when I'm talking about my, my art practice, a lot of people being like, I just don't get it. I'm like, like, why? Like, what's the, like, really, what's, what's it about? Like, what, like, what's the selling point? And for like, it really took, we got to know the selling point. Yeah. Like, like how is this helping the world or how does this, and I, I think like my response has just been to double down and be like, no, like there's certain processes of, of questioning. There's certain, there's certain kinds of questions that just exploring those questions and, and helping others be able to explore them is the richest like the most like richest divine tasty thing that you could, that you could do. Right. And, mm. and then so many things in our lives prevent us from doing that. Like we're stressed out, we're anxious. Like, Oh my God, how many people are anxious about what's going to happen tonight? And that's preventing us from being able to play. Right. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I just think that like, and, and for me, like, it's not just, and this is, I guess, getting back to philosophy. It's not just about asking these questions and just like sitting down and talking about them. Uh, I love the Rilke quote. Um, that's, I mean, this is like a little cheesy at this point, but it's the quote that's like, uh, it's about living the questions, not just asking mm. them. It's about living mm. them. Um, I, I, I definitely, I, I love that. I love that. I think mm. that's what, that's what I think this, the Play Institute, the Duke Play Institute is about. It's about helping to live 
to activate, to like manifest, to experience these, these big questions and doing them and doing that through, through some of these practices I love the most. I mean, our, our first event that's coming up in a couple of weeks is going to be sort of playing with uh, parts work. Like mm. this sort of idea that we have these internal parts that we're out there, you know, I have an inner critic, I have an inner lover and we're going to have like uh, four facilitators just like take people through workshops but in every workshop, you're going to play one of your parts. So like in one workshop, I will be my inner critic. And for an hour, I'll be doing all sorts of guided things as my inner critic. And, mm. and I think something mm. like this gets us to live the question of, of who am I? What, what is it to be a self? What is it to be myself? Right. And that's, and it's, and it's experienced and, and played with. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. So, and, and to answer the other, the other question, what are my edges? I think my edges are, uh, um, I think it is starting something like this is scary. I think it, there's a lot of, you know, possibilities of it, of it going wrong. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, like I'm starting at almost, I mean, I do have friends that are helping with, with various components of it, but I, I don't have like a, uh, like a group of like five committed people that were doing it together. So I think yeah, there's there's some scariness about that. That that mm. is definitely an, an edge for me. Mm. That I'm that I'm you know continuing to to work on and try to play with. Mm. Yeah, I just have this really. Uh, it is it is utopian and probably and probably totally unrealistic, but really fun to imagine a world where more of us, like the majority of us, or maybe even all of us, have a, the kind of mental and emotional fluidity to move into all of these different forms with playfulness and grace to, to like, be like, I'm going to speak from my inner critic today, or I'm going to speak from my inner lover today, or I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to run my, my, the masculine programming at full tilt today, just to see what that's like. And then I'm going to just, then I'm just going to offline it tomorrow and see what it's like to let my feminine energies, like just to sort of, a world where people have that permission and capacity to play. God, I don't, I just, that would, it, yeah. there'd be lots of messes, I'm sure, but there'd also be lots of really incredible, playful, emerging uh, like ways of being together that are so yeah. much bigger than what we give ourselves invitations to right now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I will say for me also, maybe this is kind of like a closing thing. Like for me, like play, I'm, I'm trying to write a book about play. We'll see how, we'll see. <laughs> and I, I might have, there's like 30 projects somewhere. You just need but your uh, inner, inner author to show up for. <laughs> and um, yeah, for, for me, like play, play wasn't always this like thought of as this like trivial thing where like, oh, let's play Scrabble. Let's play a crossword puzzle. Like play has divine roots. Like uh, in, in the East Asian tradition, Leela is a, is a God or, or a divine force at the very least of, of play. Mm. Um, we have other, like, you know, like there's uh, Hermes, the trickster, like there, there are these divine cosmological forces of play that, that, you know, crop their heads up every, every few hundred thousand years, whatever. And I, I, I sort of like to think of myself sometimes as like a worshiper, a divine worshiper of play. You know, I think that, that it, it's a way of, it's a spiritual practice. I think trying to, trying to infuse life with the, with playfulness. Oh, that seems like a great place to, to close. Yeah. 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 Here's to devotion to play. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. So, uh, Aaron, you mentioned you have a, uh, an event coming up in a couple of weeks. You've, yes. It sounds like you're kind of like planting a lot of seeds. If people 
this may not this may not go live until after that event has happened, but hopefully you will have more events. Like where <laughs> where can people go to learn more about what you're up to? Yes. So uh deepplayinstitute.com. Um that is where Deep Play Institute lies. Um you can go there. I have my own website also, Finn Blooming, <laughs> my my last name nice. with the gerund at the end. Uh is also where you can find more of my creative projects and and writings and such. Um, and the school's making thinking also. Um, we have classes this fall, we'll probably have classes, uh, virtual classes this, uh, this winter and spring. So yeah. Amazing, man. I, uh, I really hope, I really appreciate the devotion. Like I can feel your devotion to play. And I really appreciate you bringing that into this space with someone you've never met before and just letting it rip i had a ton of fun and i yeah. hope that, i hope that we get a chance to to play together some more in some of these other contexts i i as well yeah i also had a great time i really i really appreciate your your energy and your ability to sort of like uh hold the space a lot mm. yeah thank you yeah. all right yeah. thanks everyone thanks for listening in thanks for tuning in to the wonder dome this podcast was produced by me andy cahill with support from kelly Sirqua and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on, and keep the show going for as long as I'm able. But 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime... I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.